Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. We're in the middle of our series called The Glorious Second Coming of Jesus. You know, it's safe to say that Jesus doesn't come back in all his glory because human beings have made the world perfect again and we're all standing around looking up waiting for him. Not according to the Bible. Some of the darkest times accompanied by the most epic religious deceptions will be happening. And since none of us know the exact day or hour of the second coming, we need to be filling our hearts and minds with scripture so we're not caught up in the deception or fall into disillusionment. Here's Pastor John Fonville with the message he calls The Day of the Lord and the Man of Lawlessness, Part 4. False doctrine, this mystery of lawlessness that Paul talks about that is at work in the church, never appears to be your mortal enemy. Never. They ne- it never appears to be opposing your salvation. False teachers and Satan always make use, Calvin says, of, quote, some cloak of truth for the purpose of deceiving and ensnaring us. Every false teaching in the church has a cloak of truth to it, or else it wouldn't be accepted. Calvin says this, that Satan does not immediately show his horns. Not that he has horns, but he's just making the point that he's evil. But Satan does not immediately show his horns, but rather makes it his endeavor to appear as an angel of light. Calvin also observes that Satan and false teachers, this mystery of lawlessness, this spirit of Antichrist that is at work in the church now, he says, gives poison to drink in a golden cup. gives poison to drink in a golden cup. And so, therefore, we must always be on our guard against masks in the church. Satan is a liar. And deception lies at the root of all he calls, Paul calls his wicked activity through this man of lawlessness. And his goal is to lead this end-time rebellion, why? Because his goal, which, was, which led to his eventual fall, is to take God's place in the church and to be worshipped, verse 4. And then to lead a rebellion again against God's people. And so Satan will stop at nothing to deceive as many people as possible by every means as possible by opposing to everyone as being the real thing. And so this deceptive activity of the Antichrist is already at work in the church, and Paul says it will culminate one day in the revealing of this man of lawlessness. But until then, he is being restrained. So let's look at this this third feature uh, of the man of lawlessness. So that's the activity, but now we're going to look at the restraint. Look at verses 5 through 8. The apostle Paul says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. So here, this is the restraint of this lawless man. He's not come yet and he's being restrained. Now, look at verse 5. Paul is mildly rebuking these young believers because he tells them, you should already know about the restraint of the man of lawlessness because it was part of this instruction that I had given you already during my previous visits. 
He says to them in verse 5, he says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And so Paul repeats the fact that Antichrist's deceptive activity is currently being restrained. At the present time, Antichrist's deceptive activity is partial and it is incognito in the visible church. It is working, verse 7, he says, through this mystery of lawlessness that is already at work in the church. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, John speaks of the same thing using different terminology. And he says, many Antichrists have already come. And so both... Paul and John say that this mystery of lawlessness that is at work in the church, this spirit of Antichrist, these Antichrists that have already come, it's anyone in the church who's spreading heresy, false teaching. And so Paul has got this pastoral concern for the church. He is warning these young believers that even though this final man of lawlessness has not yet come, They must remain alert because the mystery of lawlessness, verse 7, is already at work in the church. And this mystery of lawlessness is a forerunner that will lead to the culminating appearance of this man of lawlessness. And so Antichrist will come and go in the visible church. And there are yet echoes of this final Antichrist who is yet to come. Yet... He will not come until this, Paul says, restraint or restrainer is taken out of the way. And that is when literally all hell will break loose in the visible church. So let me say a brief word about the identity of this restraint, this restrainer. Uh, Just as we saw last week, there's been an, an abundance of speculation as to the identity of the Antichrist. Uh, there has also been an abundance of speculation as to the what is this restrainer? Who is this restrainer? And so uh, there are at least seven different views as to the identity of the restrainer. I'm just going to read them for you very quickly because it, you'll see it in a minute. But here, here's the list. Uh, some have said is the Roman Empire personified in the emperor of Rome. Others say there's no specific empire in mind. The the restrainer is just simply civic government. Others have said, no, it's the Jewish state that restrains the power. Others say it is Satan or one of his evil angelic demons that is the restraining power, which is not even an option, really. The power of false teachers trying to grasp for prophetic control of the church is the restraining power because they're all fighting each other, and so therefore it doesn't really break out completely in the... That, that's been um, uh, recommended. Some have said that the Holy Spirit is a restrainer. And um, others say that the restraining force is the proclamation of the gospel in the church. Um, ultimately, as one Bible scholar notes, one brilliant New Testament Bible scholar, he says, quote, it is difficult to determine with probability the precise identification of the restrainer, so we're not going to do that today. <laughs> no, in other words, let me tell you how, what this scholar is saying. We don't know. <laughs> um, so, again, the difficulty lies in the fact that the Thessalonians knew what Paul was referring to, and we don't. So we have to affirm what is certain and show very due caution where we don't know. So what can we say with certainty about this restrainer? Well, ultimately... 
What we can say is restraining Antichrist and his deceptive, satanically empowered activity is this. God is the one who is ultimately the power behind whatever historically, historical agent is going to be used to restrain this man. It's God. So whatever this particular historic agent is, it's God working through that agent to restrain here. This, Paul says the manifestation of the Antichrist is based on the restrainer's removal, and this removal of the restrainer coincides with the revelation of the Antichrist. Paul says, listen carefully in verse 6, listen, you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. There's been debate about what does this phrase in his time mean? Well, if you look at the whole context, Paul's argument seems to be best understood as God's own time. In God's own time, this man of lawlessness will be revealed. The sovereign time set by God, God is the one who ultimately holds back this man of lawlessness from appearing. And so in God's own sovereign time, Paul is teaching us a comforting truth. God will bring his history to a climactic conclusion, so rest. But when this restrainer is taken out of the way, this man of lawlessness will be revealed, and when he is revealed, he will direct his deceptive false signs and wonders against members in the visible church and lead a great end-time rebellion. So, As we reflect this morning on Paul's characterization of the man of lawlessness, what are some lessons that we can learn from this? Well, first of all, last week, just to review, we said we can be alert. Okay, verse 7, Paul says this mystery of lawlessness is already at work in the visible church, so we need to remain alert. But second, this week, I want to go back to Paul's pastoral concern as well. Look all the way back. Look all the way back at verse 3, and look what the Apostle Paul says. He says, let no one deceive you in any way. It's a pastoral concern. In other words, the first is be alert. Second is do not be deceived. Do not let yourself be led in deception. Paul's motive is not speculative, as we said. It's pastoral. He's seeking to comfort these alarmed believers and to comfort you, to not be concerned about all the end-time speculative details, but to rest in the fact God is in control, and therefore, when he's in control, do not be deceived because of this mystery of lawlessness that is already at work in the church. Let no one deceive you in any way. So how do we avoid being deceived? How do we grow in our discernment? He tells you in verse 5. Look at verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Those who have genuinely been taught in the truth of God's word need to continually recall that truth to prevent deception. So what is the source of deception? Why do false teachers and false teaching continually plague the church and deceive so many? Why is their deceptive teaching so compelling and attractive? 
What is it that continually empowers lawlessness in the church? Paul tells us, verse 7, it is the mystery of lawlessness that is now at work in the church. It is the spirit of Antichrist that is to come. This spirit of Antichrist, this mystery of lawlessness will continue to deceive. And the deception will reach this high point in the future when this man of lawlessness is revealed. So Paul is telling us, let no one deceive you. Be alert. Because God's people can sometimes fail to perceive subtle shifts away from God's truth. That's incrementally how it works in the church. Just a little tiny subtle shift. A little nuance. A little correcting of like, mm, we're not, we don't quite believe that, but here's what we believe and let's talk about it. And I'm telling you, when you're in those conversations, it is so compelling. And it seems so, well, well, yeah, I mean, that just, it's, it's so, so deceptive and compelling. And it attracts and allures and it confuses your mind. And you're just sitting there going, well, well, maybe. And so when false, deceptive teaching comes, we sometimes do not readily recognize it, and therefore we leave ourselves open to being deceived. Therefore, Paul says, be on guard against being deceived. How? By continually reminding you of what you have already been taught. Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, so let me tell you one more time. How easy is it to forget the gospel? Martin Luther preached through the whole book of Galatians. He ended chapter 6. He turned back to chapter 1, and the next Sunday went into his church and said, please open to the book of Galatians. Why do you do this, Martin Luther? He says, because we forget the gospel, so I must pound it into my people's thinking. So we need to be equipped to recognize the genuine as opposed to the counterfeit. And the way to spot a counterfeit and avoid being deceived is to be thoroughly trained in being able to see the genuine. Let me give you an illustration of that. Uh, Federal agents who work in the counterfeit department of our government, uh, they do not learn to recognize counterfeit money by studying all the possible counterfeit currencies that are currently in circulation. They spend no time studying counterfeit currencies. Rather, do you know what they do? They master the security and design features of the genuine bills. And having been thoroughly trained and mastered in the genuine, they're able to immediately recognize counterfeit currencies when they see it. And in the same way, Paul's saying, if we are to avoid being deceived, we must focus our attention continually on the truth of the gospel and be continually reminded of what we already know. And the more thoroughly we are trained in the genuine, the easier it will be to identify what is counterfeit and avoid being deceived. Because remember, 
The devil and false teacher, Satan, never come into the church and announce to you, we're here to deceive you. We're here to be your master opponent and chief archenemy and destroy you. We hate you and want to send you to condemnation, eternal judgment. It doesn't work like that. They always look like the real good thing. If Satan, the man of lawlessness, right, was to walk in here today, he would be highly compelling. And you would be looking at his signs and his wonders, and you go, well, maybe we should worship him. Maybe this is the Messiah. And you have to be very careful. And so Paul perceived that these young believers, these new believers in the faith were becoming vulnerable to false teaching because they were in the process of forgetting the truth that they had already been taught by Paul and the apostles. They had become susceptible to deceptive false teaching because they were not reminding themselves of the key truths of the gospel, namely the hope of the gospel, the second coming of Christ, that Paul says, I've already told you these things. So let me refresh your memory again. Peter gives a similar warning to believers in 2 Peter chapter 1. And these believers that he was writing to were also threatened by false teaching about the second coming of Christ. Listen to what Peter says. He says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Always remind you, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. You know it, you're established in it, but I'm going to keep reminding you anyway. Over and over and over. Why? He says, because it is right. As long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. And so I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. That is the chief pastoral strategy of a pastor right there. Remind the people of what matters over and over and over so that after his departure, they can grow in the maturity of their faith and recall what they had been taught. And that's what protects them from being deceived. So it's vitally important to be reminded constantly of the truth of the gospel, established in the truth of God's word, because in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, we'll see, Paul says, I want you to, listen, stand firm and hold to the traditions that we have been taught by the apostles. Stand firm, hold to the apostolic truth of the gospel, and don't waver. You see, the gospel is always the paramount issue, isn't it? It's always the issue. So let me just finish this morning as we um, look at this. What is one practical way, and here it is, Ron, I finally did it for you. Here's a a practical step for you to take. (laughs) What is a a practical thing that you can do, right, right? So that these truths are always being fully uh, inculcated into you so that you're well-versed in the orthodox truth of the Christian faith. Well, here's, here's one. Attend public worship faithfully every week and be taught. Come to catechism class and be grounded in the truth. Come to corporate worship, the means of grace. Take full advantage of that because Paul says in Ephesians 4, this is God's gift to you. And who wants to turn down a gift? 
But secondly, do this. Go home and spend time reading the creeds and confessions of the faith. Be well-versed in the Orthodox creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, the definition of Chalcedon. Creeds and confessions are public statements of what a church and a denomination believes that the Scriptures teach in a summary fashion. Let me just give you one example of how this works. The Heidelberg Catechism, which we've taught in this church, question 21, what is true faith? And then it gives an outstanding definition of what true faith is. It says, faith is a knowledge that accepts the teaching of the Bible, so there's content. It also says it's trust and confident assurance that Christ is my Savior, but it says there's content. What is faith? Faith is believing in a content. And so question 22 reads then, what then is necessary for a Christian to believe? Do you hear that? What is necessary for a Christian to believe? And here's the answer. All that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic, that is universal, believed in all times and places, the articles of our Catholic undoubted Christian faith teach us in summary So question 23 naturally asks, what then are these articles? And then the answer that the catechism gives to us is to provide the Apostles' Creed, which questions 22 through 58 go on to explain in greater detail. It exposits for us the Apostles' Creed. And so the catechism is developing the content of faith in this long section, and it uses the Apostles' Creed to do this, to establish believers in the church, and listen, in the genuine orthodox articles of what is necessary to believe so that you are well-grounded in what is genuine so that you can spot what is counterfeit. These early creeds preserve and teach the most uh, most basic building blocks of the faith. Let me just give you some examples of what they preserve. They preserve for us the very identity of God They address the central point of Christ's identity. They reveal to us that God has revealed himself to us in Scripture as three distinct persons, yet one true eternal God. The doctrine of the Trinity. It's necessary to believe to be a Christian. They teach that Christ is one person with two natures and that his divine nature is co-equal with the Father. He's fully God. He has no subordination to God whatsoever. They teach that the Holy Spirit is co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son and that the Holy Spirit is the Lord. He is the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son and with the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is worshiped and glorified. He's eternal God. And so simply put, these creeds guard the genuine and expose the counterfeits, which is why they were written in the first place, because in the early church, the first couple centuries, there was an explosion of false teachings about God and the nature of God and Christ and his person and his nature and his work. And so they had to define these truths to protect the church. And ultimately, what all of those creeds were about was the protection of the gospel. As Athanasius says, we guard this because we want people to have a pure gospel. And so we must be grounded in the orthodox truths of the faith. And, therefore, and, and by doing that, we protect ourselves from deception when it enters into the church.
And I can just tell you from experience that when you sit down with people who want to make subtle shifts, it is very, very difficult in the moment to detect it. And you have to think and pray and remind yourself, as Paul says, over and over, rehearsing the truth of this gospel so that we are not led astray, but we stand firm. We stand firm in the traditions that the apostles have given to us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you have given to us the truth of your word. We pray that you would help us to always stand firm, that we would receive in this church the traditions of the apostles, the purity of your gospel that has been granted to us. We pray that our church would always have a hunger and a desire to be fed and to learn and to grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So keep us faithful, help us to be alert and help us not to be deceived, but to be thoroughly immersed in the genuine so that we can always spot the counterfeit. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. We're looking forward to part five of this message next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time 